them on Facebook for interviews and more. The Morning Drive on News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here, and joining us in studio, we've got the treasurer from the for the state of Vermont, Mike Pichak, and the treasurer for the state of Connecticut, in Eric Russell. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for having us. And good morning, Eric. Good morning. Nice to have you here. And before we go into all the issues that we're going to get into, including baby bonds, that's the biggest thing. Um, Mike, I just got to say to you, last time you were here in July was the day <laughs> of the floods, and here you are back. And it's flooding again. I mean, I'm starting to think maybe we shouldn't have you on the show. <laughs> I was thinking it was a you problem, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it hit me this morning. I said, "Oh, we got Mike Pichek on the Treasure today," and I said, "Last time he was on was July when the monster flood hit." Yeah, no, I mean, I was just thinking that myself last night, thinking about the weather and the reports that we were seeing on the on the TV and on social media, but. You know, from my friends in Montpelier, from, you know, friends in um, Winooski in southern Vermont, I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, it's nothing near what we experienced yeah. in July. Hopefully, there's very little damage. I think we'll really be starting to be able to evaluate that this morning. Um, but certainly, a tremendous amount of rain and yeah. really scary. And even if the places that um, were hit last time weren't uh, damaged as significantly, it's still traumatizing to go through that. I mean... I remember after July, friends of mine in Montpelier, just simply when it rained, they would get really anxious and really nervous. So to see the water get as high as it did last night, um, I'm sure it was a very traumatic experience. As yeah. the governor called it, a gut punch to anybody who experienced it in July and then got hit again. Yeah, exactly right. And there were some businesses in Montpelier. You heard from Secretary Curley. She said at least 10 businesses, I think it was, in, in Montpelier that had water in their basement. So, you know, I saw Capital Grounds, which is a... Really well known and well liked yeah. coffee shop in downtown. They had their basement was flooded, flooded again in the you afternoon. Know, part of part of the rebuilding, though, I know um, from a, uh, friends in 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 Montpelier as well. When they rebuilt a lot of the infrastructure that used to be in the basement, the water tanks, the heaters, the the, the furnaces, and things, they moved up to the first floor. Yeah, they had to. I mean, that was yeah. sort of that was part know, of the deal with the state money. Yeah, so part of the deal with the state money. A lot of insurance companies were requiring that all of that sort of went up uh, yeah. into the first floor to the second floor. It's putting pressure because a lot of the second floor units were apartments, and we have a housing shortage, so that's a challenge. But yeah, yeah exactly it, it, right. It, it ate a valuable space, but luckily we, here we are six months later, and hopefully it didn't. And we're going to be talking a lot about baby bonds. That's the issue, and that's what I know that Eric is here to promote with Treasurer Mike Pijak. But just real quick, Eric, any any flooding issues in Connecticut? No flooding issues right now, but I think like everywhere else, we've certainly been mindful of uh, these more extreme weather conditions that are having an impact. And so, you know, we've been doing a lot of work to try to get ahead of these things, but um, from an infrastructure perspective, um, but it is a challenging time. All right, let's go to the phones because I know we've yep. got a caller that wants to ask about baby bonds. Oh, let's nice. go to the phones. <laughs> Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, how are you doing? I'm David. Hi, David. Uh, yeah, uh, for these baby bonds, uh, how will the process for claiming these funds actually work for people in the program? Uh, is the money getting deposited into an account, or are they going to receive a check? Um, how would I get even notified? And, Mike, Aunt, uh, take that question on, but first, can you tell us, a lot of people are listening, probably don't know what the heck this is. So yeah, no, absolutely. Tell us, first of all, uh, what baby bonds are, how they work, and then we'll hear from Eric as well. Yeah, for sure. So the concept around baby bonds has been around at the national level for over a decade, um, and recently, with Connecticut's lead, uh, has been brought uh, to state government and implemented locally at the state level. So the idea is really trying to drive at generational poverty. That's sort of a number one in terms of what this policy is trying to address and, and tackle. 
I think since it's done at the state level, it's not just generational poverty, though. It's also rural economic development because the means test that's employed is uh, babies born on Medicaid. Uh, and we know in Vermont, for example, well over 50% of the babies born on Medicaid are from the Northeast Kingdom. They're, you know, If you're born in Northeast Kingdom, more likely than not, you're going to be born on Medicaid. In southern Vermont, it's close to 50%. In a place like Chittenden County, it's closer to 25% of babies are born on Medicaid. Uh, what's the, that's, is there a actual number of babies yeah so it's about 2,000 babies out of about you know 5,200 or so born in Vermont um, the percentages you know on a given year might fluctuate a bit but it's generally around 37 percent of babies born in Vermont um, but it's also retention of young people in the state because you have to be a resident of Vermont when you claim this baby bond so it's trying to uh, address generational poverty trying to address rural economic development and then trying to address also retention of young people in Vermont. And then the caller's question? Yes. So the caller's question. So, you know, the way that we um, have the program envisioned in Vermont is to set aside the amount of money, $3,200. That money would grow from the treasurer's office investments over the long term. Individuals would get notified that they're part of the program, that they have a baby bond with the treasurer's office. We envision it as sort of a pooled investment, so you wouldn't have an individualized account. Uh, but when it came time to be able to claim your baby bond between the ages of 18 and 30, uh, they would submit an application to the treasurer's office. We would verify it, verify that it was for use that was permitted. There are very specific uses for the program that are um, wealth-generating activities that we can get into. Um, and then we'd verify the identity and and then send um, the proceeds. It's very similar in some ways to our unclaimed property program that we run. People come and apply. They have to verify their identity. And then we send them, you know, the unclaimed property that our office holds. And now let's hear from Eric. Eric Russell, the treasurer from Connecticut. Uh, I think elected same uh, same time frame that That's right. Mike Pijak was. Yes. So Just started uh, in January. T- tell us how uh, it's worked in Connecticut. And uh, I think that we're more or less modeling it after Connecticut. Is that right? Yes. So tell us... Uh, how it's worked in Connecticut. Sure. So it's uh, the program kicked off on July 1st. So uh, babies that were born in Connecticut starting on July 1st of this year, uh, whose birth was covered by Medicaid, are eligible for this program. Uh, parents don't have to do anything to enroll in the program. Uh, the birth simply being covered by Husky would automatically um, make that individual eligible. And then the same thing, that money would grow over the life of the child between the ages of 18 and 30. They could access these resources. And the wealth building goals here. The proceeds can be used to purchase a home uh, in Connecticut to start or invest in a Connecticut business uh, to help pay for post-secondary education or job training or that can be rolled into a retirement account. But the goal is really that the individuals are using these resources for something that is going to grow and help to build uh, wealth over time. And between the ages of 18 and 30? Correct. And uh, if they don't access this money or make a move to, to by doing one of these criteria that you just mentioned, uh, wealth generating... Uh, college, whatever it may be, post. Uh, what happens after that? If they don't at, try to access that money by 30, it goes back into the budget? In Connecticut, it would stay in this trust. So we have a separate baby bond trust that the proceeds, uh, that the these monies are held in. And so that money, in theory, would just continue to fund the program over time. And what uh, what's the funding source they use in Connecticut? How, how much, what the... Um, how much does the program cost and what's the funding source? Sure. So in Connecticut, we have uh, about 15, on average, about 15,000 babies that are born eligible for the program every year. What we've done is we've funded the program for 12 years um, up front with cash. So we funded the trust with $400 million. It was initially going to be bonded $50 million a year for 12 years. 
uh, we were able to, through a lot of collaboration and thought sharing, we were able to come up with a new way of accessing a reserve fund that we had money tied up in. And we used that to fully fund the program for 12 years. And we got um, some, and, oh, sorry, we've got some calls we're going to get to in just a minute. Just one last to finish up on my line for a second here is, um, is it, has it been shown data wise that uh, babies that are born into Medicaid, that they go on to have generational, um, you know, low levels of income, uh, welfare, that type of thing. Has that been shown to be the case? Uh, high percentages? Yeah, generally, right. Or like generally, if you're born on Medicaid, now there's exceptions always, right, to any pool. But uh, generally, um, these are families that are the most impoverished in Vermont or in Connecticut or anywhere across the country. And um, unfortunately, what we've seen is that that sort of passes generationally in, in, to the next young It's generation. hard to break the cycle. It's hard to break the cycle. Break out. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yeah, good morning. Um, I just had a quick question uh, about baby bonds. Um, you know, given all the pressing needs we have in our state right now, I mean, why should we implement something like this, which we won't really see the benefits from until much later? Yeah, no, so it's a great question. Um, you know, I don't think, on the one hand, we shouldn't think of this, I don't think, as something that's competing with current resources. There are certain programs that are in place that need to help people now. Um, but on the other hand, we also have to be thinking about some of these challenges in a long-term way. Uh, we had an initiative last year called Vermont Saves. This was an initiative that helped uh, people save for the retirement. It was a publicly administered retirement account. We knew under that program we wouldn't see um, progress in the first year or the second year, but we knew long-term people would start saving for themselves. They'd have a more independent, secure retirement. It put less pressure on the state's budget over the long-term. Same thing here with um, baby bonds. It's a long-term investment that will yield results. But we're also trying to think how can we have a more immediate impact if the program is established. For example, the money that we'll be holding to invest into the future, can some of that money be used to invest in Vermont in things like affordable housing uh, or housing projects uh, and not just you know in mutual funds? And, and they can't leave the state, like Eric said, in Connecticut, right? You've got to be a resident here. You have to be a resident. You could move away, but you have to come back and be a resident when you claim your baby bond. And this doesn't sound like it's a budget buster. It's not. So in Vermont, you know, you heard from Eric, uh, 15,000 uh, children a year in Vermont, 2,000 or so children a year. So about $6.4 million. Um, that's sort of the range. So it's not a a budget buster, as you put it, but it is hugely impactful for those individuals that would get uh, a baby bond. 3,200, uh, we expect to grow to about 11,500 at the age of 18. It could grow up to about 24,000 by the age of 30. So somewhere in that sort of fifteen, eighteen thousand $18,000 range if they take it, you know, in their mid-20s. Um, and I know just for myself, I think about my own like, personal story. My grandparents from an immigrant family, they um, were not of means by any regard. My grandfather worked in a drop shop and they uh, put aside, you know, a hundred dollar savings yeah. bond every time that they won the lottery or, you know, it was my Had, birthday or, yeah, and yeah. all of that sort of grew up, you know, accumulated. And when I bought my first home, that was what I used to, you know, buy my, uh, use my, as a down payment. And a lot of individuals don't have that. And, you know, if they did, I mean, this is exactly, you know, what it's trying to, to serve that purpose of trying to give people um, yep. a, a leg up so that they can buy their first home, can start a business, can go to school, yeah. um, or roll it over into the retirement. Got some calls lined up for you. So let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi. I had a question about baby bonds. I like the idea of the program that uh, folks get to you know make their own choices with the money, but I, I want to know uh, how, you know, how, how are we going to know that folks are going to make responsible choices, good choices with this money? 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And Eric can jump in here, too, because they've given this a lot of thought. Um, and I know their bill has a financial literacy requirement, as uh, would our bill. So there's some built-in education that happens sort of along the way. But I think the biggest thing is that it's limited to those four categories, to buy your first home in Vermont, to start a business uh, in Vermont, retirement right. or education. I mean, you can't just say, hey, I'm taking the money and I want to – you know, go on a party. Yeah, exactly uh, right. Take it. It's got to be. It's got to be one of the four criteria, Eric. Exactly, and we did the same thing in Connecticut. The way we envision this is that as people are going through their claim process, we confirm eligibility. We confirm the fact that they are a Connecticut resident and using it for one of the existing purposes. And if someone wants to say go to UConn for school, we would get an invoice from UConn, and there would actually be a check cut that would uh, directly go to the school. school. Yeah, that's, that's well thought out. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. My question is, you know, where is the funding going to be coming from? You're talking, you know, six and a half. I saw your on, uh, you can quote me on Sunday, talking about this, and you said there's anywhere between six and seven million dollars annually. Um, and you just made it sound like, you know, it's not a budget buster, six million dollars here, six million dollars there. You know, with, with the way the taxes are in Vermont, I mean, this is just something else that is going to become a burden. And I would suggest, it's like, if you want to pass a program like this, that's fine. Find the funding from other programs that you have and, and take it from some of these other, other funds and so that we're not getting an additional six, seven million dollars annually thrown at us. Mike, yeah. how do you, what do you say to that? Yeah. I mean, obviously, taxpayers, it's, it's not cheap in Vermont. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. And we're very sensitive to that um, as well. So the suggestion that we have for a funding stream in some ways does exactly what the caller um, is suggesting. So we have an unclaimed property program that I mentioned earlier. Every year we send an amount to the general fund, um, and we don't really know what that amount is ultimately going to be until much later in the budget cycle. And then even after the budget's closed, we don't really know what the total of that amount is going to be till months later. So just for an example, like um, we would say it's going to be $2.5 million, and then last year it ended up being over $10 million. Um, and that's not that's maybe atypical for that one year, but it's generally we put in for a few million, it ends up being six, seven, eight million. So our our suggestion, <clears throat> instead of having that money be used sort of as one time money at some point, you know, down the road that just sort of gets, you know, sits put, there, yeah, or gets put into the budget in sort of ways that aren't impactful for a specific program, let's put that into the baby buns trust fund. Um, we don't need the money on a given period of time. It doesn't matter sort of from a budgetary standpoint when we get the money. These are long-term investments, 18 plus years. So I think it's a good source of funds because of how we're going to use them and how we're going to invest them. Uh, but it also wouldn't increase uh, any revenues necessary to fund the program. I, and I also want to point out that it was somebody else's money. Yeah. It was, so, so basically, <laughs> it's, you're, you're taking the unclaimed money and and recycling it yes. to, to give back to the residents. And, you know, and often, just to think of it big picture, oftentimes um, the people that have unclaimed property are older, they've passed away, really, yeah. generally they've passed away. So it's thinking about sort of the past generation helping a future generation. I, and, and so it's, it's outside the tax cycle, it's outside everything. It's, it's, it's a pool of money that belonged to people that it's unclaimed, and you take it and you, you give it, yeah. you're paying it forward. Eric, I want to ask you a question. We've got calls, we'll get to you in just a minute, sure. so hold on, everybody. Um, can... We in the past there's always been educational programs that have called been, don't no child left behind that type of thing. Could there be someone left behind in this? In other words, if you're not a baby born into Medicaid, you still could be at some point in your early life be fall into poverty that type of thing. For sure. So 
does that criteria criteria I'm not trying to get this program expanded even more but whatever people are concerned, <laughs> concerned about the cost but could some kids be left behind though in this program Sure. I think the hard part whenever setting policy like this is that you do have to have some parameters that ultimately create boundaries around it. I think one thing that's really important to note, though, is that there's no illusion that baby bonds by itself is the solution to addressing poverty as a whole. We look at this very much as a piece to a larger puzzle. As we continue to make investments in education and early child care and more affordable housing in Connecticut, um, we think that this is it's also important to look at these long term investments. And I think even just thinking about, again, the economic impact in Connecticut, understanding that these resources are going to be reinvested in our state, uh, largely reinvested in communities that have been under-resourced and under-invested in historically, um, and that that is going to impact everyone across the state. That We can really look at some of these policies about um, it's an opportunity to take this resource and for people to be able to lift themselves up in a more meaningful way rather than thinking about providing services that are just supporting people on and an I, ongoing basis. And I guess for the person that's concerned about the budget, and I get that, um, it's it's down the road, it's going to have a positive impact because you, for people that are concerned about generational welfare, that type of thing, this may actually uh, help with that. Definitely. I mean, if you look at how most people have built wealth over time, it's been through owning assets that ultimately appreciate without them having to do anything, right? And this could be the difference between someone being able to say, rather than just paying rent on a monthly basis, and they work hard, but they don't have, as Mike mentioned, right, the resources to necessarily put a down payment on a home. And this could be the game changer for them being able to really change their circumstance in a meaningful way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. What is what is the federal and state tax implications when they cash this in? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So we, um, as did Connecticut, expressly uh, clarified that this is not someone's property until they claim the baby bond, so that does not impact eligibility for other benefits or eligibility for um, things like financial aid and evaluation. Say, yep. Now, we also, in the bill, would exempt it from state tax, I think, as Connecticut did, so there would be an exemption there when they receive it. Um, now, at the federal level, there's not an exemption now. So I think the thought is, and hopefully with more states coming on board, um, that there can be an exemption passed at the federal level you know, within the next 18 years until uh, this money is actually paid out uh, to recognize um, that this shouldn't be taxed. The purpose of this um, is to give the full amount to children that uh, claim it so that they can use it for those specific wealth-building activities. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes, uh, I just uh, would like some clarification. The unclaimed property is uh, is that money or financial assets of people who have deceased who are deceased. That's the first question. And then the second part of that is. The state has the resources to do ancestry work and get those funds to people rather than the people having to claim their funds or the, the, of their relatives that are deceased. Seems a little unethical to me. Thank you. Yeah, so on the first question, it can be people that unfortunately have passed away, but um, it's also people that uh, are living in the states, people that have moved out of the state. It's nonprofits, it's businesses, it's sort of anti, any sort of entity type and, and any person that you can think of. The unclaimed property could be a few days old, it could be you know decades old. Um, so in terms of getting the money back to people, you know we have instituted a pilot program, and actually 
we looked at Connecticut for this as well. We're just trying to catch up to Connecticut, it seems, uh, <laughs> where we um, automatically verified individuals' identif- identification, their address, um, and then we sent them a letter saying that they were part of this pilot project, that they'd be getting a check from us, and then we sent them a check uh, three weeks later. So we identified people that had claims between 200 and 225 to make sure it was enough money for people to act on it. Right. And um, I think we had like a 99% delivery rate in terms of the addresses, um, and then those checks that we sent, you know, similar success rate in terms of being cashed. So when can you use that money that's unclaimed? Like, what is there a period of time where nobody's claimed it and it goes back into the pool and you're going to yeah. so to the, use that? You know, to the caller's point, you know, you can always claim it. So it never goes away. It's just in terms of um, the likelihood. So we could have someone that has passed away 20 years ago and maybe they have 25 cents in unclaimed property. And that could be the case for 100,000 you know, people in a similar situation. So it's not really economical for us to go through and try to get somebody's estate that right. 25 cents. Um, it's always there if they want to claim it. Um, we have over a million pieces of individual property in the unclaimed property division. I, uh, you know, when they used to, years ago, they'd print them in the newspaper. You yes. Know, and people would call you, your name's on the list, you got to call. <laughs> and it was a check for $6. Yeah. And it was, uh, I had gotten overpaid get it, insurance not premium. cash it, and it would go back to unclaimed property. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Still unclaimed. Well, no. I, I, I called, and they said, yeah, $6, and they sent it to me, and I did. I forgot to cash it, so my name was on the list the second time. <laughs> so you See? guys are doing a, a press conference later today to highlight yes. this. Yes. yes. Um, Eric, what's going to be the biggest message you're going to try to put out in the press conference? I think the biggest thing is just the opportunity that this really presents in really making a transformational impact uh, in our state. I think one thing that's really cool about being in the role of treasurer, and Mike and I have spoken about this, is that you're somewhat uniquely to think about the long-term future of our states, right? It's not just about one individual budget cycle or, you know, one year at a time. It's about thinking about building states in the future that we is going to be better for everybody. And I think that this is a huge opportunity to do that. Again, it's not the silver bullet. It's a piece to the puzzle, but I think it has a huge opportunity to really create uh, economic opportunity for folks in our states. And Mike, we are just about out of time, but someone texted me a question. So I just want to ask you this. Uh, would the program create new state government positions or a new department? So definitely not a new department, and we don't anticipate hiring um, any new employees um, really at the beginning or even for much of the duration uh, of the program. I know there are potentially um, third-party vendors that could help us with some of the administrative work as it comes time to making claims and, and verification. Uh, so I think um, – not just in the short term, but I think in the long term, there, there wouldn't be a new department and the administrative overhead we try to keep as low as possible. And uh, back to my question earlier, as we run out of time here, um, <laughs> I'm asking another question. But if, if uh, is there any kind of process where somebody would be able to say, could appeal and say, my kid didn't get this, we weren't on Medicaid, but we have certainly been in tough times and we're low income uh, and they wanna, I want to appeal to let the Mike Child should have, should have the same opportunity. Yeah, is there so, anything like that? You know, that's not anything that we're envisioning. As Eric had mentioned, you know, whenever you draw the line, you know, it, draw it, it yeah, you know, when it was discussed at the national level, the thought was everyone would be eligible for a baby bond regardless of your circumstances, but it would be progressive in terms of how much everybody received, and that it would maybe reevaluate every couple of years. So that would take a considerable amount of revenue. That would take a considerable amount of overhead. So at the state level, you just you have to implement a program that's more responsible or more, you know, that fits the resources of the state. Eric, any last comments? No, it's just great to be here. Uh, and I'm really, uh, it's, it's exciting to see Mike take this on. I'm excited about so much of the work that's happening here in Vermont, but uh, this especially. 
Great to have you in Vermont, Eric. Thank Welcome you. Happy to, to be here. And uh, we'll be watching your uh, political future, too, over in Connecticut. Thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the treasurer of Vermont, Mike Pichak, and the treasurer of Connecticut, Eric Russell. Uh, they'll be doing a press conference later on baby bonds, and obviously a lot of calls or a lot of interest in this yeah. issue. Thank you for having us. Thanks for being Thank on you. the morning drive. No, no floods next time. Right? <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Deal. Thanks. All right. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. We'll be back. We're going to... Uh... Check in with ABC News. Uh, Rich has the headlines. we got the forecast. And then we're going to have a little fun with our GM, John Mullet, uh, playing some tributes to some 